Quick plug before we jump into today's episode, I am doing another round of my 10 Scalable Streams of Solopreneur Income Masterclass coming right up on Tuesday, March 17th at 10 a.m. Eastern. I did this in the fall when doors were open the last time for Momentum. That's my private community for heart-based solopreneurs and small business owners. And I'm doing 10 streams of income again because this was such a popular course the first time around. And the last time I delivered it, I didn't have my full numbers for 2019. In this masterclass, I'm going to be sharing my income, my expenses, red flags, lessons learned, not only my 10 plus streams of income, but the three that make the biggest impact and how I continually work toward earning twice as much in half the time with joy and ease while serving the highest good. And a big part of that for me is really looking at how do we streamline things? How do we create smarter systems? And how do we solve problems creatively in business to free up our time to do the best work that we possibly can while staying lean, mean, and relatively small if that's how you like to build things. I would love for you to join us if you're interested. Just head on over to pivot.love slash 10 streams to register. And that's 10 with a one and a zero. So it's pivot.love slash one zero streams. That's pivot.love slash 10 streams. You'll get all signed up for the masterclass. And if you can't make it live, you can still submit questions in advance so that I make sure I touch on what's most interesting, important, and helpful for you to know. I can't wait to see some of you there. And now on to today's show. What's next? This is a question we're all having to ask and answer more frequently. I'm Jenny Blake, your host of the Pivot Podcast and author of Pivot, the only move that matters is your next one. For show notes from this episode, visit pivotmethod.com slash podcast. If change is the only constant, then let's get better at it. Here we go. Hello, my friends. This episode is a field report from attending Oprah's 2020 Vision Tour, Your Life in Focus, at the Barclays Center this past weekend. In fact, I still have a little frog in my throat, probably from screaming for Oprah and Michelle Obama. <laughs> Normally, I don't do episodes like this, and I questioned whether or not I should, because it could read as kind of a book report version of an event. I'm just telling you what happened. But I was so curious going into this event, and I had never seen Oprah live in person. In this case, it's a day-long extravaganza that she's doing in several different cities across the country. And I figured... Maybe you would like to hear what the experience was like and what the takeaways were. Although I didn't actually grow up with Oprah the way that many of you might have watching her every single day, watching her talk show while it was on the air, I really got into Oprah and became a total devotee through her Super Soul Conversations podcast. It launched officially in September of 2017, but of course they're weaving in certain interviews and guests from throughout Oprah's history. Shout out to my friend Tara, who I met way back in 2006 when I first started at Google. And I know Tara first like turned me on to just this devotion to Oprah. 
In fact, when I was starting at seminary school, even though I'm now on leave, although I think they're they're kicking me out of even being on leave now. <laughs> I was attending Union Theological Seminary for a semester and a half. You can listen to that podcast episode, Put Yourself in the Path of Pivot. I'll put it in the show notes. I read this book from a theologian at Yale. Her name is Catherine Lofton. I'll put this in the show notes too. It's kind of a niche theology book. It's $30 in paperback because it's basically out of print, but it's called Oprah, the Gospel of an Icon. And it was so interesting to have been listening to her podcast episodes and then have this lens, which I have to say the book is not, it's not totally favorable toward Oprah, but it's this blending of spirituality and capitalism, basically. Uh, I'll read you the description. That was a very interesting lens to look at the Oprah phenomenon and what she means to America and how she stands in, in a way, for religion and spirituality in our modern society. The reason I share that now is that it kind of ties into what we'll talk about in terms of the 2020 Vision Tour. Before we get into that, let me read you the book description. Today on Oprah, intoned the TV announcer, and all over America, viewers tuned in to learn, empathize, and celebrate. In this book, Catherine Lofton investigates the Oprah phenomenon and finds in Winfrey's empire, Harpo Productions, O Magazine, and her, te her television network, an uncanny reflection of religion in modern society. Lofton shows that when Oprah liked, needed, or believed something, she offered her audience nothing less than spiritual revolution, reinforced by practices that fuse consumer behavior, celebrity ambition, and religious idiom. In short, Oprah Winfrey is a media messiah for a secular age. Lofton's unique approach also situates the Oprah enterprise culturally, illuminating how Winfrey reflects and continues historical patterns of American religions. Fascinating, right? I then went on an Oprah analysis book binge. Again, this was about a year and a half ago. So when my friend Petra wrote in her newsletter that she had just gotten tickets to Oprah's 2020 vision tour at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, I just instantly knew, okay, I have got to get it. And by the way, and then Michael wanted to join. So tickets for two people plus a dog sitter, which we have to think about these things now because he's still too young to be left alone all day and transportation, whatnot. This day is almost racking up a thousand dollars. Okay, so this was something where I was wondering, what's this going to be like? Is it going to be worth it? But in my heart, I knew Oprah's such a magnetic, powerful person in our culture and such a phenomenon that I just knew, yes, no matter what, it's going to be worth it. She partnered with WW, which is the rebranded Weight Watchers, to do this tour and. You may know Oprah is part owner in the company. Not only that, she has been one of their primary spokespeople for her career. And of course, she kicked off the day talking about things like her yo-yo dieting comments that Joan Rivers made to her very early in her career, calling her fat, her big fear that she would be outed and in fact was on national television, that She's too big. She's her. She's too fat to, to be accepted by America. And, and how, what a kind of shaming experience that was. And then the meat truck where the, I think it is the most watched clip in Oprah's TV series history was when she rolled out the fat truck and said, these 60 pounds, I can barely lift it. This is how much weight I've lost. And so that's really how the day started. And it was, it was powerful to hear that. 
On the other hand, I kind of wished that it wasn't a day partnered with or sponsored by WW because especially part of the conversation now we hear and see with hashtags, all bodies are beautiful. WW still has a, an emphasis on before and after, and even during the lunch break, which the lunch was not that healthy. And, uh, they showed before and after pictures of people who had weighed a lot and then they lose the weight. And so there was still a context that is, I think a little old school, but of course losing weight and the whole theme was really about wellness. Of course, those are good things. By the way, Gia Tolentino in her book, Trick Mirror, has a really powerful essay on the fact that even a message like all bodies are beautiful still centers around beauty. And I think that's a fascinating conversation to have that even when we say, oh, all bodies are beautiful, still the aspiration, especially for women is be beautiful and beauty and how do we look and what are we like either to the male gaze or to society's gaze. The day started with the 2020 vision. By the way, the subtitle of the tour is Your Life in Focus. Although I'm giving you the kind of play-by-play, I freaking loved it. Let me just say that before we even go any further. I loved it. I really needed this day. I love Oprah so much. She is so magnetic and powerful. Her presence in person is just blows you away. There were 15,000 mostly women in the Barclays Center, and she just had us on the edges of our seats, especially when she was the one talking. She interviewed Michelle Obama. That was the big special guest for this day. And then she had a few other guest acts or speakers that I was not so crazy about, but how can anybody match Oprah? (laughs) That'd be really hard to do. After Oprah gave her opening remarks, she had Tamala or Tamala Mann, who is a gospel singer, I think won an award for the gospel singer of the decade. And she sung a beautiful song, Take Me to the King, which I'll put in the show notes. It was extraordinary and such a great, powerful start to the day. And then Oprah was talking about one of her words of the year. She's asking everybody, what's your word of the year? Hers is purposeful. She said, I've reached a stage where I don't want to do nothing I don't want to do. I have earned the right to do what I want to do. She says earlier in your career, you might have to pay some dues, do things you don't want, but she is now at a point in her 60s where she does not want to do anything she doesn't want to do. And so this is her 2020 campaign for wellness. She talked about living out the truest, highest expression of yourself as a human being. You are life expressing itself as you. Oprah did say something. She said, you have to name it to claim it. And I always question this sentiment because I'm also a big follower of Tosha Silver and her work and the whole notion of outrageous openness, which also borrows from an earlier writer, Florence Shovel Shin. I don't know if I'm saying her name right. The Game of Life and How to Play It. It's a really quirky book that was written, I don't even know when, 30s or 40s. And those two books are really about surrender. So sometimes I do wonder, do you have to name it to claim it? Do you have to say exactly what you want? This is kind of what Tosha Silver calls the grocery list for God version of manifestation. Do you have to be so specific? And then even Oprah did share later in the day a story about how when she was just starting out, she envisioned a yard with six trees. And 
the other day, she had a moment looking out at her place in Maui and she saw all these trees, many more than six. And she said, God had an even bigger plan for me. And so I do wonder, do we need to be so specific or what is it like to live in total and full surrender that everything we have is perfect and, and maybe we can't even know what is possible for us or what the universe has in mind. I often say when I'm giving a pivot talk, if you look back five or 10 years ago, could you even have imagined that you would be where you are now today? A huge influence on Oprah was the book Seed of the Soul by Gary Zuckov. I'm going to put this in the notes. It's a fantastic book. I really loved it. I have to say, I saw Gary Zuckov and his wife in person in New York. Yeah, he, he himself, for some reason, I don't resonate with him as much, but the book is so powerful. And he also wrote a fantastic book on spiritual partnership that's a must read for the people that you are partnering with in your life. Oprah talked a lot about flow. She said, your real job here on earth is to find your flow. Move with the flow that is your life. I love that. that. And I do think that's true. Our goal is to get to know ourselves and our zone of genius and remove the things that drain us and the people that drain us and the shoulds and the the ways that I, I know myself of trying to please other people, being a people pleaser, being um, trying to be good. She told this story. It was so funny of trying to be nice earlier in her life. And at one point, Stedman said to her, you're not nice. You're kind, you're generous, you're many things, but you're not nice. Gail, Gail is nice. And that actually freed Oprah to not have to be nice. So that was very inspiring to me is, in fact, when somebody will tell her you're nice, she'll actually disagree and say, no, I'm not nice, but that's fine. A big theme for Oprah on her podcast and in this day is presence. So she encouraged everyone in the room. She said, in this moment, despite the swirl of your life, all is well. And repeating themes that she's had Eckhart Tolle talking, Byron Katie on her show for many, many years, Gary Zuckoff, that our job, that stress is wanting the moment to be something that it's not, and that our job is to accept the swirl, don't push against it. Now, what do I do? So once you accept the swirl of your life, now you can ask, what do I do? And part of the day was going through this Your Life and Focus workbook to create a wellness vision. So she quoted Ram Das, Be Here Now, the famous book. I've actually talked, we had a conversation with Eastforce on the Pivot podcast about Ram Das that I'll put in the show notes. And she said, after 5,000 plus Oprah shows and over 37,000 interviews, she said, everybody you meet just wants to be seen and heard. She told the audience, you think my gift is interviewing, but it's not. It's connection. It's presence. And it was very interesting that she said after every single interview, no matter who she was interviewing, Beyonce, Obama, no matter how powerful or luminary these people were, after the interview, after the camera stopped rolling, they would look at her and say, was that okay? And she said what they really wanted to know, did you see me? Did you hear me? Does what I say matter to you? And that is what the gift that she has given to her guests and to all of us who watch or listen to Oprah over the years. 
She talked about mindfulness as releasing the comparisons that start with the word when. So here, again, referencing the wagon of fat moment, just that when of trying to fit into a certain pair of jeans or when the scale says this or when I reach a certain point in my career. She wrote a journal and she read a journal entry from that time and asked the audience, what are you afraid of that has not set you free? She realized that part of her weight at that time was a fear of success, actually, and a fear of what other people would think of her. And when she could let that go, that is what started to set her free. Circling back to the nice comment, she was afraid of judgment, of other people judging her. And now she's come to realize that she didn't, she didn't want to be arrogant, but she doesn't need to be nice either. She said it, everybody laughed. What you want is to be so full of yourself, your cup runneth over. It ought to make them proud because you are phenomenal. That's a Maya Angelou quote that she said. Throughout the day, we took these breaks to do the workbook journey, as she called it. And the three sections that I'll share with you here in case it gives you some food for thought or reflection were what is your wellness focus and you assess each area of your life in terms of your state of wellness. Then we set a wellness intention and finally a commitment. You're going to hear pages turning because I'm, I'm going to the, the section of the workbook. So in terms of wellness focus, the categories, there were five questions for each, but the main categories cover emotions, learning, work, nutrition, and movement. Oh, two more purpose and relationships. So actually that's one, two, three, four, five, seven areas total, mind, body, and spirit. So I'll repeat them back to you. Mind includes emotions, learning, and work. Body includes nutrition and movement. And spirit includes purpose and relationships. There were questions for each of those seven areas. So I think five questions times seven, but the at the end of it, you tally it all up. And specifically, you see which of those three areas had the lowest score that you could then set some intentions around. So you could even simplify this for yourself and you could rate on a scale of one to five, your emotions, emotional resilience, your mood, your overall state, your learning, how engaged are you with your life and growth and growth mindset. Your work, are you passionate about what you do? Do you look forward to going to work every day? Rate that on a scale of one to five. Nutrition, how are you eating? Are you eating foods that nourish you? Movement, are you, are you moving? Are you exercising? Is it joyful? Purpose, this is in the spirit category and relationships. So you could just rate those on a scale of one to five and then see which are your lower three, not to feel bad about yourself, but to set some intentions. So with the intention setting, the, she kind of had to set the intention and then healthy habits around it. Um, and I'm trying to find for you. Okay, here it is. You state your focus. So one of the three areas that's the lowest. And then you write, my new healthy habit is, my cue is, and my reward is. So that builds on Charles Duhigg's work, The Power of Habit. She also had us do a really powerful exercise in the workbook around clear intention. Thinking of a time when you set a goal that you didn't reach. It could be from any area of your life, career, health, relationships, or something else. And you fill in, what was your goal? Why did you want to achieve this goal? List all the real reasons you can think of. And then on the following page, 
She said, thinking about those intentions, check all the statements below that describe them. Be fully honest with yourself. I'm going to read these to you because these are really, really powerful of why we sometimes set intentions that are muddy and then things don't come to pass. This list includes, um, and this is, these examples are when the why of a goal doesn't match up with the truth of who we are. So the list has, I wanted to prove I was good enough. I was trying to prove something to someone. I wanted to win. I was trying to control a situation. I was trying to control another person. I wanted to be better than someone else. I was trying to live up to someone else's expectations. I was trying to make someone like me. I felt obligated. I felt guilty. I felt I was supposed to want it. I was afraid of what would happen. I didn't think I had a choice. An other. Fill in your own. So have you ever set a goal or wanted something that didn't come to pass? And was it because of one of those things? So then she had to set a wellness intention for mind, body, and spirit and clarify it. So test the clarity of that intention by asking, how will this intention bring you more meaning and fulfillment? When it came time for me to brainstorm my wellness intention for mind, body, and spirit, I just came up with a list. That's what came to me in the moment, which included acceptance, myself, others, and the situation, surrender, equanimity, gratitude, peace, kindness, love, grace, joy, quiet strength and warm smiles, and calm in the eye of the storm. In terms of how will this intention bring you more meaning and fulfillment, I wrote, be love, magnetic and inspiring force for others. I will be calm, happy, good-humored, peaceful, joyful, grateful, in the moment, and in flow. As I shared in the Puppy Training Trenches podcast, episode 154, you can find the show notes at pivotmethod.com slash 154. It's been a big adjustment for me taking care of a brand new puppy. He's now four months old at the time of this recording and being married straight up. It's these are adjustments that I'm only just wrapping my head around. We've been married a little over a year, living together now since 2017, and now adding the dog is another dynamic. And I'm just somebody that I'm used to pouring so much energy and focus and purpose into my work that this new work, this new project of creating a family unit is just, it's new to me. And I feel I'm, I'm not in my usual graceful equanimous self, at least the one that I shared. There was an early podcast on how meditation rewired my brain. And certainly in my 20s, I joked that the only thing I had 10,000 hours of expertise in was neurosis. But I eventually found some calm once I went through my Saturn return, 29, 30, 31, came out the other side. And that's a lot of what I share in Pivot. There's actually a lot of spirituality woven into Pivot, but I kind of hit it. So <laughs> it's not over. I didn't want it to be a self-help book. I distinctly wanted it to be about career and business, but I digress. So those are some of my themes. This all rolls up to the, one of the last pages of the workbook is your contract for yourself. So here's how mine shook out. You can fill in your own blanks. 
I, Jenny, will commit to a balanced lifestyle by focusing on serenity, nutrition, and body movement wellness. My intention is peace and love. To sharpen my focus, I will build new healthy habits, connect with my needs and heart's desire, eat foods that nourish body and spirit, move joyfully and with presence every day. I will follow up with, and the name of witness, I put Michael and Petra since they were both there with me and now all of you listening to this podcast on, I wrote December 2020 to discuss my progress. Signed, Jenny Blake. Well, there you have it, folks. Now I said it out loud on this podcast, which I wasn't planning to do, but I actually came back to hit record again because I felt like I could tell you all the things we did, but maybe you would find it helpful to hear some of what I'm focusing on. My word of 2020 is miracles. I didn't know what it was going to be. And that came to me only in late January, early February, because there was a day where I just said, I need a miracle. Tosha Silver talks about change me prayers, change me into somebody that knows how to handle this and integrate all of this into my life and take care of a family while running the business and paying a mortgage and raising a puppy. And you know, it's a lot. And I have a full life. So do all of you who are here listening. So I'm excited to invite and honor miracles. You might recall an episode I did with Elizabeth Grace Saunders on divine time management and with my friend Emily on the Course in Miracles. So I'll put both of those in the show notes. Course in Miracles, I still have yet to read the full text, but so many people are crazy about this text and it's life-changing. And certainly I am down with so much of the philosophy in it. If I read all of it, I could say probably be a big advocate for all of it. I was with Emily Bennington. We talked about Course in Miracles at work specifically. And in fact, I had a reading with somebody, Tara Taylor. She's amazing. She said my homework for the year was to read a book, Living the Course in Miracles. So when the word miracles came to me, I thought, you know what? That's a good one. If you're somebody that likes going this route of the unseen and the the spiritual realm, you might also love a book by Lorna Byrne called Angels in My Hair. This is a woman who sees guardian angels, and it's it's really delightful to read her stories. Okay, back to Oprah. If you're part of the Oprah universe, you know that after she read Zekov's Seed of the Soul, she decided to set an intention for every single episode of the Oprah Winfrey show. And she even asked her producers to do the same. So they had to set an intention. What was their intention for this topic, this guest, or this show? And then she had to sign on to that with her own intentionality around it. So she started to infuse this this notion of intention into every single thing that she did. She told a funny story about how the producers didn't quite grasp this at first. And they said, we want to have Brad Pitt on, you know, because in the early days, it would just be, oh, cool, big name, let's have him on. And she wanted more intention than that. So she said, well, what's your intention of having Brad Pitt on? And I'm like, our intention is that he sits across from you and you interview him, <laughs> you know, kind of joking, not taking it seriously yet, but really to ask why? Why am I interviewing this celebrity? Is it just for my own ego or is, do we have an intention for this conversation? And I do think as an outside perspective that that's given her interviews tremendous depth. And the reason she asks such powerful questions is that you feel that intention to help clarify and serve the audience and elucidate this person's story and 
bring out their vulnerability and their truth. Couple more powerful questions that she asked. What is the thing that gives life back to you? And how are you willing to disrupt old patterns? At the moment of commitment, the whole universe conspires to help you. They quoted the founder of WW saying, if you give someone else what you have discovered, that's the greatest joy. And that's what I feel here on this podcast and with my books and in Momentum and Pivot Insider, especially Momentum, where I share my behind the scenes of my business and my numbers, my lessons learned, software, everything I figure out the long, hard way. It is so gratifying to be able to give someone else those discoveries. That is where I find my ultimate joy. And I think that's what all the options we have to create in the world now can provide for us. After lunch, toward the end of the day, she had Michelle Obama and Michelle was great. I mean, they, it was such a fun interview to watch. You really got the, the, the difference between Oprah and Michelle Obama and how they showed up compared to what I felt some of the, the some of the other speakers and, and people who are part of the day. For me, they had more of a performative authenticity vibe. The words they were saying were somehow supposed to be vulnerable or open or embarrassing, but it felt performative. It felt like there was an agenda that I'm going to be, quote, vulnerable so that you like me. Or yes, I'm, I'm really speaking or moving from the heart. Meanwhile, there's a video of me on the beach with my beautiful friends. Like there were just certain things that didn't resonate with me. And I don't want to go too far into them because I don't want to, just don't want to be negative on this show and everyone is going to have a different opinion. My friend Petra also did a debrief on this day on her podcast. And she said, this is a good note to any of you who are going to be on stage. There were 15,000 people in this stadium. It was full from the VIP section floor all the way to the ceiling. Of course, of those 15,000, not everyone's going to like you. The speaker before lunch, I just couldn't stand the approach the story. It started with a 10, if not 15 minute tirade about an old tampon. Sorry if you find that disgusting. I certainly did. So Michael and I just left early for lunch and there were other people leaving early, but then others who stayed might've loved it. And they, and part of the reason they love this person is, wow, she's so honest and vulnerable and not afraid to make herself seem silly or, or say embarrassing things. For me, that's taking it a little too far, but you get the point that you can't make everybody happy. That said, there is just such a difference of, and maybe it's just being earlier in your career, earlier in your life, where you're not totally in the zone of that deep, authentic power that Oprah and Michelle Obama have. But seeing the two of them on stage in the interview was just was so good. Oprah talked about Michelle's comment, when they go low, we go high. Michelle re responded by saying, you know, going low is what's easy in the short term. But our bigger purpose on this planet is more than to just take care of what she said, my little ego. So if she were to get revenge and, and clap back at any of those people, she might feel good in the moment. But Michelle Obama said, if it won't fix the problem, you're being selfish. So anything that you say or do just to retaliate or get back at somebody, if it's not going to fix the problem, you're being selfish. You're serving your ego and we have a bigger purpose on this planet. Michelle felt very strongly that if you have a platform, you have a responsibility and that 
she feels really does feel a big responsibility to her and, and Barack Obama to use that platform and, and do great things with it. They they say she's she said she's definitely having more fun now. She was grateful, so grateful. And it was a really a privilege to be in the White House for those eight years. But they crave fresh air, being outside, just be having a little more of their time and their lives and their privacy back now. I love when she talked about marriage and she just said, if you only define your marriage by just the bad times, you're going to miss so much. And that young people don't always like when she says this, but if in a 30 or 40 year marriage, you have eight bad years, 10 bad years, 15 bad years, that's still a huge success. And if you only define or judge it based on the bad times, you're going to miss all the fruits of that partnership over the long term. I love what she said about her body. Uh, Oprah asked Michelle, what do you appreciate most about your body now? And she said, it's mine. This is my body. I try not to judge it. I appreciate what God gave me. It is a miracle. What our bodies do and how they serve and support us is a miracle. I feel the exact same way. Similar to Oprah, when asked what her superpower is, Michelle said, it's making people feel seen. Empathy. And they quoted the, the saying, to whom much is given, much is expected. Again, so coming back to having empathy, Michelle said, you know, even if she doesn't agree with somebody, she always tries to put herself in their shoes of what experiences and context could create this worldview. So even if she doesn't agree, she's always trying to see how could it be that this person has this opinion? They read aloud the poem Love After Love by Derek Walcott. Really, truly beautiful. I will link to that in the show notes too. And Oprah said, Amazing Grace is her theme song, which reminded me of the interview I did most recently with Kelly McGonigal. I believe it's 150. We'll put it in the show notes um, of Collective Joy. And Kelly McGonigal also in her new book, The Joy of Movement, says, what's your theme song? In fact, she says, you know, a lot of us pick a word or theme for the year. Pick a theme song that's going to create that feeling in you. So not only can you pick a word or a theme for 2020, but what theme song or music is going to represent your year? Because that is going to take it even further. It's going to give you a feeling. It's going to give you the energy of what it is you're trying to create. And it's even a faster shortcut. If you play that song and it generates this certain feeling in you, that that's another way to cultivate that theme of the year. Oprah closed the day with such a moving story about her mother um, passing away and, and her struggles to just say those words. I love you. I forgive you. It was so moving. I mean, not a dry eye in the house. And Oprah had a a tough relationship with her mom. You know, her mom and dad got pregnant after one time when her mom was 16. And she told a story about being six years old, going to visit her mom farther up north from Tennessee. And the woman who owned the house that her mom was staying in wouldn't let Oprah sleep inside. She had to sleep on the porch. And her pain at her mom not fighting for her or even coming out to be with her. And that in that moment, she said she realized she's on her own in this life. And thank goodness her grandmother gave her Jesus. And that's what pulled her through. But she had a lot of, no matter all the interviews that she's done with all the spiritual teachers, still 
some unresolved stuff with her mom. So hearing her share her story, so vulnerable, so open, so real, so, so recent, it's clearly wasn't one that was just canned from telling it for 30 years. It was, had just happened last year. And to just see how Oprah is human, just like the rest of us and telling her journey and just saying that through everything she's been through in her life, she wouldn't take it back that nothing that happens to you will be wasted. Strength times strength times strength times strength equals power. And that strength comes from all those moments of adversity and suffering. Overall, it was a beautiful, wonderful, incredible day. If you have the chance to see her or still snag tickets, I don't know how, how many more stops on the tour that she has, but it's, it is really worth doing. I know this episode was a little bit wandering. <laughs> Hopefully you were able to follow at least most of it, but I just wanted to share my takeaways and all those resources will be in the show notes at pivotmethod.com slash podcast. And it also encouraged me to finally maybe think about doing some kind of pivot event or meetup in 2020 or at least 2021, although that's far away. So if you want to see what virtual events and webinars, I just scheduled a whole slew of them. See what those are. You can go to pivotmethod.com slash live and you can join for a live webinar. I'd love to connect and have you there. And if you want to learn more about my private community, if you're a heart-based business owner and you want to take a lot of these principles into how you show up for work and business and entrepreneurship, please join us. I would love to have you at pivotmethod.com slash momentum. That's it for now. Thank you for listening, everybody. Have a beautiful rest of your day. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Pivot Podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips and templates by signing up for Pivot List a curated twice-monthly newsletter where I share the inside scoop on what I'm reading, watching, listening to, and the latest tools I'm geeking out on. Sign up at pivotmethod.com slash pivotlist. Get show notes from this episode at pivotmethod.com slash podcast. And connect with me on Twitter at Jenny underscore Blake. Remember, build first, then your courage will follow. Hasn't it always 